Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Leadership. It's a theme written about in hundreds of books, talked about on so many popular podcasts, and of course, it's something that people really seek after if they want to be an executive. Leadership, since it's so popular, you'd think that we have kind of a unified way of looking at it, but it seems that there are a lot of different perspectives, and I'll tell you what, they sometimes conflict with one another. Take, for example, these quotes. Take a look at this one here. This is by one leader, one former president. He said, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. So for him, he's saying leadership is all about inspiration. If you can inspire people, you're a leader. But then another very well-known, very successful leader said it this way. He says, innovation distinguishes between a leader and a follower. So if you can't innovate, you're not a leader. But then somebody else summed it up this way. The very essence of leadership is that you have to have vision. You can't blow an uncertain trumpet. So when it comes to leadership, a lot of different perspectives, and I could go on and on about that, but I've done this because I want us to understand here this morning that the same holds true for the church. It's why today I want to talk about why I believe in biblical leadership. You see, if our church is to exist 100 years from now, 200 years from now, until Jesus comes back, whenever that is, we need to understand and embrace true biblical leadership. I say this because there are so many different opinions about what that is. I mean, take a look at my role, for example, the role of the senior pastor or the lead pastor of the church. I've seen this many times in different books and articles that would say that the lead pastor is the CEO of the church. Have you heard that before? The CEO. Well, that's a view that basically states that I'm to be an expert in human resources, in finances, vision, strategy, organizational management, just to name a few. And I would say, well, how does that view align with what the Bible states my primary responsibilities are? 1 Peter 5 says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And so from these two verses alone, we see that a pastor, which in the Bible is also referred to as a shepherd, is to be, first of all, invested Not necessarily in the stock market, but most certainly in the well-being of the flock, of the congregation. Scripture also tells us that a pastor is to be an example, not as a successful business leader, but as a person of integrity. And also Scripture says that the pastor is to be a servant, not a power leader, but a humble leader. The truth is, when you take a look out there at a variety of pastors and churches, this view runs contrary to how many pastors view themselves. Some pastors look at the Old Testament, they see a kingdom perspective, where they then are the kings, and the congregation are the subjects. And in this way, the pastor holds all the power, 
And the congregation merely submits to them and financially supports their lifestyle. I've seen this before. I, I was asked to speak about 10 years ago and I lived in Michigan in Lansing. There was a church that was kind of being ordained as a new church in the city. So I was asked to come and speak to this significant event from people all over the city and I was joined with like eight other pastors in the city to do this. And I didn't know some of these other pastors, they're from different churches, different denominations, but we all showed up, all the people gathered, and we're in back in this room, but now it's time for the whole thing to begin. And so the pastors are brought out. And the first thing I noticed was that on the main platform in front of everybody, we're not just like nine different seats. I would aptly call them nine different thrones. These were very ornate and big. They're the kind of seats you see on that, you know, that one broadcasting network we won't talk about. But, um, you know, so there's these thrones. And so I, I, I came out and uncomfortably sat in my throne. And then the whole thing began. The worship team got up, and I'll tell you what, it was electric. The whole congregation that had gathered had stood up. They are singing. They're clapping. And they're just having a great time. And it seemed that they were involved, but... Not the pastors I was sitting up with. Because while they were singing and clapping, they were just sitting on their phones, texting and answering emails. And at that moment, I felt really stuck. Because I'm in front of everybody else. Am I supposed to be with them? Or am I supposed to be with them? I let a minute go by where I was just struggling internally and I just stood up. I stood up and joined with everyone else in the church that night as we were worshiping God together, but the other pastors never stood up. They continued doing their texting and their emails. In fact, the only time they got up was when it was their time to speak. And what I witnessed right in front of me were pastors who viewed themselves like kings, not servants. And the Bible is very clear, friends, that only Jesus is a shepherd and a king. Pastors, we're just shepherds, nothing more. Nothing less, that's all that it is. And how does that work then? Well, a couple months ago, we moved in this new neighborhood about a year and a half ago. I've, I've run into this couple numerous times, but I didn't know what she did for a living. And so she told me, she said, you know, she's a wedding planner. And, and so I'm like, wow, you know, I, I didn't know that about you. And then she quickly started to compare herself to another more successful wedding planner in the city. She said, I'm nothing like her. Well, I'd never heard of her before, so that didn't mean anything. You know, she said, you know, she plans the best weddings in Cincinnati. And I said, well, by best, you mean the most expensive? Oh, yes, I'm nothing like her. She plans weddings. Her weddings cost $150,000 or more. I'm nothing like her. I only, you know, plan the moderately priced weddings here in Cincinnati. So I said, by moderately priced, do you mind me asking, like, what does a moderately priced wedding cost these days? She says, well, I only do the weddings that cost between eighty dollars and $120,000. And as I stood listening to that, I remember Carol and I, we helped pay for, we did pay for, a wedding about five years previous. And I got to be honest, that wedding cost just slightly less than $80,000, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like a lot less than $80,000. And as I'm sitting there and just listening to all this, I thought, you know, inflation is a real thing, right? I mean, boy, has things gone way up in price since we had a wedding. 
And so if there's one lesson you take from today, if you're a parent with you know, young girls, like young daughters, maybe you just want to like sell your house, you know, live in a tent, and save up for that future moderately priced wedding that's coming down the road. But no matter how much a wedding costs, whether it's a lot of money or not so much money, they're all incredibly special, but we all know certain facets about a wedding. You see it every single time. First of all, the bride resides at the center of the wedding. Everything is about her. That's why her parents buy her an expensive wedding dress that she'll save for the rest of her life. It's why when the bride enters from the back of the room, everyone stands up and gives her their full attention. The spotlight is always on the bride. The groom? Oh, well, that's far different. The groom rents a tuxedo that another groom used the previous weekend. Let's just be honest, right? A groom enters, the, you know, with the side without any kind of fanfare. In fact, when the groom enters the room, hardly anyone even notices. Because after all, the wedding is not about him. When he gets to marry the bride, he's not the bride. In fact, when you think about this, the only time people stand up when the groom is present is after both of them are presented as a new couple. So it's only his association with the bride that promotes him to spotlight status. No one ever stands for the groom when he is alone. It's all about the bride. But not so with Christ's church. In the book of Revelation, we see a description of the greatest of all weddings. And it's here where the groom gets all the attention. Revelation 19.7, let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So just for clarification, the groom, that represents Jesus Christ. The bride, all of us, his church, men and women who are followers of Jesus Christ. So make no mistake about it. First of all, this wedding is, is the wedding of Christ the groom, not the wedding of we, the bride. That's why elsewhere, John provides us this clarification. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. And friends, this is such a special, powerful picture of the relationship that exists between us, the church, and Jesus Christ, our bridegroom. So what does that mean for me as a pastor of this church? Well, it means that while I do hold a master's degree in business management, the focus of my job is not human resources, nor is it finances. I am to provide the proper protection for this church, however. And what does that mean? Well, it means that as your pastor, my job is to watch over you, the bride, on behalf of Jesus, the bridegroom. Basically, I'm like a spiritual wedding planner who works to ensure that you, the bride, are made ready for Jesus when he comes back for you. That's my role. And it also means that the spotlight is not on me. The spotlight is on Jesus. And it also means that this church is not my church. I hear pastors say, well, this is my church. No, 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 no. This is not my church, nor is it your church. Friends, this is Christ's church. We together belong to him. I love how one pastor stated it. He said, my constant challenge as a leader in the church is to get myself out of the way so that the bride will be awestruck by the incomparable majesty of her groom. So then how are we to operate as his bride until he comes back for us? What does that look like? 
Well, I talked earlier about many different definitions for leadership, and, and you know, like I said, there are pastors who view themselves, and churches who view their pastors like they're kings, so we have that perspective out there, but also when it comes to leadership in the church, there are many churches and denominations out there that would say when it comes to leadership in the church, only men are to lead. Only men. In fact, they would say that churches who encourage women to lead are either unbiblical or liberal. Scripture gives us a far different picture than that. I say this because when the Bible refers to the church, his bride, first of all, everyone is included, both men and women. In fact, the Bible is very clear that every member of the church is to demonstrate leadership in some way. It's why Peter gave us this instruction. He said, each of you, each of you, that means me too, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So each of you means everyone. Everyone is to use their gifts as they lead in different ways within the life of the church. So friends, if we're to be a healthy bride awaiting Jesus, our bridegroom, that means we all need to get in the game together, accomplishing God's will for us together. It's also why Paul, when he wrote Christians in Rome, he began a portion of his letter this way. He says, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. All means all, everyone. And then a bit later, he told all of God's holy people what they were to do. Look carefully at these words. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Now pay special attention here. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So Paul makes it clear that while we all have different gifts in the life of the church, we are to use that gift in the church. And that means if a man or a woman has been given the gift to serve, then he or she is to serve. If a man or a woman has been given the gift to teach, he or she is to teach. And if a man or a woman has been given the gift to lead, he or she is to lead. So on. So let me summarize what I've talked about so far. That if you're to be a healthy bride awaiting Jesus, the bridegroom, the pastor must not hold a power position, but a servant position. Secondly, everyone in the congregation must use their gifts to glorify God and edify the church as they lead in some way. But there's more. You see, if you're gonna be a healthy bride awaiting Jesus, the bridegroom, we need to stand in unity regarding the diversity of his bride. I'm gonna say that again. We need to stand in a unity regarding the diversity of his bride. Amen? Amen. I say this because this theme, it's all throughout scripture. It goes all the way back to Abraham. God told Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the nations on earth will be blessed through you. 
So God's ultimate plan was to bless the Jewish people so they could go out and share their blessings with everyone, people of other ethnicities and skin colors, in order to make God's name known throughout the earth. But the Bible's clear that they didn't do that. They were too busy thinking about themselves and arguing over theology. But where they had failed, the good news is that another would succeed. In fact, God's mission would still come to pass. And it's why when you take a look at scripture, by the time we get to the end of the Old Testament, we find this prophecy that I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. The messenger, that's John the Baptist. He would prepare the way for Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And it was Jesus, as we talked about earlier and celebrated earlier, who would go to the cross so that people from every race, every tribe, every tongue could become part of God's worldwide family if they would but repent and follow him. It's also why Jesus said this, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. By all people, Jesus was referring to both Jews and Gentiles, brown, black, and white. All means all. But I've had people say this to me, Phil, you know, I hear you. I mean, that's why the church, we should send missionaries to reach others. And we should share the gospel with those who are different than me, they would say about themselves. But they've also said to me, that doesn't mean that they need to be part of my church. We can worship separately and still have unity. Well, to such an anti-gospel point of view, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. He said his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Friends, it was due to this mandate, which we find all the way from the Old Testament, all the way to the closing pages of the New Testament, that we as a church, we embraced a vision statement some years ago. And here, here, here's what it is. There were to be a diverse community seeing future generations transformed by the gospel. A diverse community seeing future generations transformed by the gospel. And friends, I think this is important, that this was not a vision statement written in response to the events that transpired over the last couple years. No, no, no. Since this is rooted in scripture, this vision statement was crafted by leadership long before those events ever took place. In fact, we're going to talk more about this next weekend, and I encourage you not to miss it. It's so crucial that we're part of this. Let me summarize where we've been so far. If you're to be a healthy bride awaiting Jesus, the bridegroom, The pastor must not hold a power position, but a servant position. Everyone in the congregation must use their gifts to glorify God and edify the church by leading in some way. And the congregation must stand in unity regarding the diversity of his bride. There's one more thing I want to address. Some of you have already seen a little bit about this. It's been maybe emailed to you or you received some kind of letter in some way explaining the details. Others don't know what I'm talking about because you may not be a member or you may be looking to become one, but you didn't receive this communication. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about something that's rooted in a biblical mandate that I, as the pastor, am not the only shepherd or caretaker of you, this church, the flock. I'm not. I'm not to be. In fact, think about this. What would happen to the church if I'm suddenly hit by a truck? 
or God calls me home. That's why to ensure that you, the bride, are healthy as you wait your bridegroom, a broader band of protection is called for in Scripture. We see it over and over. For example, when, when Paul was leave, leaving the church in Ephesus, now this was a church. He had spent more time there, known these people deeply. But now it was time for him to go, and he knew he would never see them again. And so he calls the elders, the caretakers of the church, and he gives them this instruction. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Two things we see, two competing truths. First of all, he's saying that the church, the flock will always be under the attack from the changing winds of culture. And we have been seeing that over the past couple of years. It is clear that we see this. He's also saying that the church, the flock, needs to be protected then by a group of spiritual leaders known in the Bible as elders. Elders. These would be leaders, spiritual leaders, men and women, who 1 Timothy 3 says are above reproach, faithful if married, self-controlled, respectful of others, hospitable and gentle, of good reputation, able to teach God's word, able to settle disputes, able to help the church function well and flourish well. It's why Peter wrote, he says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. I want to share in that glory. And what does that mean? It means the executive board is making a proposal to the church here to move from a business form of leadership to a spiritual form of leadership. And I want to encourage you to take part. If you're a member or if you're just you know, an attender, you've been coming here for a while, you're looking to join, whatever, I encourage you to take part in this. It was a little over three years ago, I asked the board to take a look at our constitution. And as well as things were being run, and I got to tell you what, I have been so amazed at the board here. It's changed over time, but the, the leadership here through the years and how they show humility towards one another, it is amazing to me. At the same time, I'm saying as beautiful as this is, let's take a look though at the Constitution. Let's take a look at Scripture. Will you do that? And so they did that. A special team was formed and they studied this matter and after a good deal of time, I think like a year and a half or so, uh, they gave a proposal and that's the direction we're pursuing now as a church. And it has my full support. So I encourage you to read the materials that have been made available. And if you don't have them, well, just go out in the, in the atrium there to the Welcome Center. There's packets there, information sheets. I encourage you to read them. I encourage you to participate in the listening sessions that are being offered over the next three weeks. Ask your questions. Engage in all of this. If you're not a member here, if you've just been coming here for a few weeks, I encourage you to show up to these sessions just to learn more, but also to see how we as a church humbly talk with one another and seek God's best with one another. I encourage you to witness that. Ultimately, in September at our annual family meeting, we're going to vote on this to hopefully make the elder board structure a reality here. And I'm just asking that we seek prayer and, and, and engage in prayer through this entire process. Friends, I believe that together we can put MCC in a greater place of blessing and protection as we embrace and embody leadership guidelines established for us 
in scripture. Friends, the health of the bride is essential. The health of you, the bride, is essential. What does that mean? Well, it means that the pastor must not hold a power position, but a servant position. The congregation must use their gifts to glorify God and edify the church by leading in some way. It means the congregation must stand in unity regarding the diversity of his bride. And it means the congregation must be protected by a group of spiritual leaders known as elders. Why do I believe in biblical leadership? Friends, biblical leadership is important because the health of Christ's bride is essential. And that's why I'm calling upon us to be the kind of church, think about this, the kind of church that John wrote about in the book of Revelation. The kind of church that is committed to being his bride who has made herself ready. Ready. So I encourage you to be the church wherever you are, to come to the church. I encourage you to give your devotion, your gifts, your questions, and your support as we move along this journey together. Biblical leadership is important because the health of Christ's bride is essential. So in all of this, will you pray with me? Jesus, we, we thank you that your future church was so important, so loved that you went the distance for us. Not only that we could be saved individually, but that we become then part of your family. Brothers and sisters from every race, every background. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And Lord, we're humbled by this. We're amazed that we get to be part of all of this. And so, Lord, I, I pray for each person here, each person watching online as they're hearing about some of these things, Lord, that you would do a work in our midst, a work in our hearts, a work in our church as we're really seeking what's best, what we believe is best and what you have stated in Scripture. So help us along this journey. May we learn even more along the way, but ultimately, God, may we pursue what you have in mind for us. We want to be a healthy bride when you come back for us, Jesus. That's our desire. That's our heart. And to you we pray. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Will you stand with me? Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So as we go, may we all represent him beautifully, humbly, and powerfully. May we represent the name of Jesus wherever we go so that others will come to know him and follow him and worship him as well. Friends, we are a family. We are his church. Let's go now and represent him to this world. See you next weekend. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.